From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I intended to get health care passed, even if it cost me re-election. Which for a while looked like it might. Uh, <laughs> That's Barack Obama the other day, showed up at the White House for the anniversary of uh, Obamacare passing, and I know I celebrated at home. We had a cake and balloons and that whole thing. It was just a, a wondrous occasion. You remember the, the Republicans started calling it Obamacare as a pejorative, thinking it was going to be politically damaging, and it, the, you know, the tide turned over time and is now something, a name they embrace and uh, works to his credit, but... Uh, the celebration of Obamacare leaves out some realities that people are either unaware of or have forgotten. And we thought we'd bring in the smartest guy around healthcare that we know, Craig Gottwalls. Craig, the healthcare guru, we call him, attorney at law and benefit consultant, benefit revolution. I'm, you're probably still hung over from the party, Craig, celebrating the passage of Obamacare. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously I'm hung over, but at least I made it into the show. You know, you're you're. Your uh, valued partner there, he's he's just he's so hung over he turned into a Tiger Woods fanboy and he's just following <laughs> following Tiger around all day. Yeah, Joe is at the Masters, a dream of his for as long as I've known him, and I've known him over half his life. 
um, uh, uh, to go to the Masters, and he's there with his dad and brother, which sounds pretty cool, and I'm sure we'll hear about it on uh, Monday, or hopefully he's going to yeah. try to call in, but they don't allow phones there, which is pretty cool. I think that's a good thing. I, I wish more events didn't allow cell phones. I think that should become a common thing. That'd be awesome. Oh, totally. Totally. And, and it's cool. I mean, he, COVID postponed him twice on this deal, right? So yeah. it really is something long awaited for him. <laughs> so the celebration of the passage of Obamacare. Um, yeah. First of all, where are we with the popularity of Obamacare as far as you know? It's pretty popular now, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I think it is. Uh, yeah, that's that's one I don't have at my fingertips, Jack. But I think I think if you ask the general public, they uh, probably more than fifty percent at this point approve of Obamacare and you know what they know of as Obamacare. Right. They, yeah, they generally conflate it as uh, more people got coverage. You know, more people got coverage, and so they just think of it as a good thing. They don't realize you know what they're paying for it, and uh, they don't realize exactly what it's done to healthcare. So I, you know, overall, it's kind of like kind of like what happened with Medicare and Medicaid, you know, people, that was a big contentious thing back in the, in the sixties. And uh, now they're cemented in. And the idea yeah. of pulling away Medicare or Medicaid is, is something that you can't even mention. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's very troubling to me that how really expensive programs that don't do what they were intended to do or, or doing, you know, a whole bunch of things that they weren't supposed to do. Um, uh, or just do it so unwell become just do it so incredibly poorly but they become ingrained into our system and everything like that and they don't go away run through some of the things that obamacare was supposed to do and then the reality of how it turned out because i was looking over your list that you sent me and a lot of them including number one are shocking well yeah and it's it's important to you know this is 12 years ago now so it's important to reset 12 years ago 12 years ago i know isn't that that's unbelievable but um, Obamacare was intended to do two things. One, reduce the cost of health care, and two, make uh, reduce the number of uninsured, you know, maybe even eliminate the number of uninsured in America, right? Because we have all these safety nets. The idea was that we're going to be able to reduce greatly or eliminate the uninsured and reduce the cost of health care. So the number one promise that I thought was so interesting, and it was it was political, Politico or PolitiFacts, lie of the year yep. in 2012. The lie of the was, year was if you like your health care, you can keep it. That Obama said that over and over and over again. That was that was, that might have been the biggest selling point. Hey, if you don't want to do this, nothing's going to change for you. Everything's going to be fine. If you like your health care, you can keep it. How did that turn out? Well, the latest data we have on that is 2019, so it's three years old still. But as of 2019, 87% of workers lost that health care that they had that they liked. 87%. So practically everybody. Yeah, I, I would I would be shocked if it's not over 90% now, but I just couldn't find anything recently on it. So, yeah, basically everybody's lost the health care that they were promised they could keep. Am I wrong? My memory is that my deductibles were never even close to this before Obamacare came along. Ah, deductibles. Yeah. So, you know, promise, promise number two, right? Or promise number, I guess promise number two would have been the cost of healthcare will go down. And so I even, I even linked it here because you can, you can Google this and find it anywhere. Uh, Barack Obama said repeatedly, once we pass this into law, the cost of healthcare is going to go down by $2,500 per family. So, when we're looking at healthcare, we got to look at a minimum of two things on cost. One is premium. So, what have premiums done? Well, the average premium in 2009, before the passage of Obamacare, was $13,375. The average premium for a family today is $24,000. That's a 79% increase. Wow. Now, that's just premium, Jack. You started with deductibles, as we know. Those are very important, too, because that's what you pay when you show up at the office. 
So the average deductible in 2009 was just over $1,000. Today, that's only gone up 68% to $1,700 per person. Not that one's not. So that's per person, which is important because the other yeah. one is per family. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that, yeah, that's absolutely incredible because I, I lived my life like most people where you didn't hardly pay that much attention to your deductible. Well, now it's a very, very big deal. I, unless you have a pretty bad health situation, you're way into the year before it starts covering anything. That's right. That's right. So it, it, on promise number one, costs are going to go down. We're going to rein in the cost of health care. It's just really important for people to understand. 12 years in, uh, premiums are up 80%. Deductibles are up seventy percent. How and now, you're you're an expert yeah. on the the dollars and cents of this and the math on this, and you're really really good at it. You're you know your thing is not figuring out the political wins, but I just kind of throw in how in the hell is this popular? I mean, how did it get more popular as healthcare got more expensive? God, that needs to be studied by poli sci people all around the world. Uh, what the hell? Yeah, I I think I think a lot of it is just the cult of the cult of personality and the popularity yeah. of President Obama. Right. You know, they just they just they don't people. This thing was, you know, another thing we didn't even talk about prior to this, but this thing was twenty five hundred pages as a statute. It's now over forty thousand pages Whoa. in regulations. Whoa, forty thousand pages yeah. of regulations! Wow. So, you know, there's something like less than 1% of us in the legal community that have read the statute. None of us, zero of us have read all the regulations sure. because you can't. So they just don't know what's in it. They don't know what it's done. They don't know all of the, the, the circumstances. So you couldn't keep your plan. Plans have darn near doubled in cost. But the other, you know, and to give it its fair due, um, it did cover more people. Now, I think, I think it's arguable that it, it's underperformed in that category, but the numbers on that are, uh, in 2009, when we passed this into law, we had 50 million uninsured. And as of today, the best estimates are that in the United States, we have 31 million uninsured. And the, most experts agree that 20 to 24 million people have do now have coverage due to Obamacare. But it's also important to remember a bunch of those people, maybe as many as half, were funneled into Medicaid because that was cheaper and Medicaid is the coverage we've talked about here on the show before, where university studies have shown that having Medicaid might be worse than having no coverage right. at all because it's so few doctors and the care is so poor in that system overall. So if you're going to give Obamacare any credit at all, you could say, well, it, it almost cut the number of uninsured in half. It cut it by 40 percent. OK, how about wait times for the average person out there? Yeah, wait times are a little harder to get at because the studies are done not as frequently. But uh, the best analysis on this I've seen just looked at the difference from 2014 to 2017, which was kind of the, the prime hit of Obamacare. And that was a pretty significant increase because wait times in the number of days went up 30 percent from 18 days to get a primary care visit in 2014 to 24 days in 2017. More importantly, on that topic, like I feel that. like I feel like I've noticed yeah. that IRL also in my real life, where I've got to make an appointment for me or my kids, and it's like shocking to me when when it's going to be. Well, and I didn't. It used to be, you know, fairly quick, and now it's like what? Not till ne- a different month. Well, and then that's that's a, another good point, though. I'm, I just looked at primary care visits for this to keep it simple. So primary care visits are up at least thirty but, but percent. But if you want to talk about specialists or mental health experts. 
you could be three to six months out if you can even find an expert that'll, for example, treat certain mental health uh, issues for children. Some of those people just don't exist because because the way this system works, the reimbursements within uh, the government care programs are so incredibly low that people opt out of those fields or they just say, oh, nope, I, I no longer do insurance for that kind of care. So I know you got in. I know you got into yeah. how in because I, I want to get to this before we run out of time. I know you got into how inflation, uh, you know, at, at the current yeah. eight nine percent or whatever, is going to affect all this. Well, that, that's a frightening thing because over the last fifteen to seventeen years, healthcare has run at three times the rate of typical inflation. So you know, when we've had these two percent inflation years, healthcare has been running at six. I fear that when now that we're looking at 8% inflation annually, I, I, I shudder to think at what this is going to do to health care. Now, I have not seen anything coming out at 24%, you know, year-over-year premium increases, oh. but it's not going to surprise me if we see the 10 to 20% increases oh. this for 2023 because oh. it's just so much, there's so much more pressure on health care than there is on general goods, and all that stuff that's that's Causing inflation in the regular economy is just going to be exacerbated in healthcare with the technology we rely on from overseas, pay raises, et cetera. Wow. Um, I I should ask you this ahead of time. Do you have time to stick around if if I want to talk to you when we come back? Sure, absolutely. Um, Because I got a question for you, and I know you have the answer, and and I know what the answer is, and I'm not looking forward to hearing it, but I think our listeners should, of (laughs) where you think this is headed and how soon in terms of government just taking over health care, and then you want expensive. So stick around for that. That's coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We're talking with Craig Gottwells, Craig the Healthcare Doer, who we've had on for years now on the Armstrong and Getty Show around anything about healthcare. Um, and we'll give you some contact information uh, here at the end if you want to follow Craig's thoughts anytime a giant story breaks on this sort of stuff. Because, man, healthcare has gotten expensive and complicated. And uh, before we jump into that, how about uh, the horror out of Ukraine? You following this very closely? Yeah, I am, Jack. It's. Uh... It's it's hard to it's hard to believe, but it it I, I just think in the you know as, as a as a guy who doesn't follow that stuff and follows healthcare and, and the way people have made decisions around uh, economics within a country, it just it just really shows that you know human nature doesn't change, governments don't change. The what, what you know megalomaniacs out there, countries do things in their own self interest, and uh, power given to these to these leaders in in unchecked ways it. It results in horrors, whether you're talking about war or health care or, uh, you know, inflation or whatever. I mean, I'm just I, the way I roll, Jack, I got the debt clock up on my desktop all the time. I just take a look at it. Oof. Right now, we're at five hundred and six thousand dollars of unfunded liabilities per citizen. So if each of us cuts a check for five hundred and six thousand U.S. will be solvent. But it's not so simple because last year, 2021, 57 percent of citizens didn't pay federal taxes. Right. So if you break that down to ta- we each owe a mildo. Each taxpayer owes a mildo to make this country solvent again. It's just it's never going to happen. And the the problem becomes when how how much longer can we stave off this collapse? And I, I don't I don't know the answer. I mean I don't think anybody knows. nobody knows, but there is a limit. 
There is a limit. Oh, if, a limit. If something can't go on, it will stop. I don't remember what principle that is, who said it, but it is true. If something can't continue, and you can't continue to outspend what you make forever, so if something can't go on, it will stop. And it's just a matter of when. And uh, yeah. we'll see. And speaking of giving yeah. more power, uh, you have been saying for years on the show, before, when they were arguing over whether Obamacare should be a thing, that this was going to lead us toward some sort of government takeover of health care, like they have in Great Britain, which I looked up the headline. I, I knew I had seen a couple of weeks ago. Private health care boom in Great Britain adds to fear of two-tier system in the UK because so many people are dissatisfied with the government health care that if you can afford it at all, you pay for the private stuff. Are we headed towards some sort of private or uh, government takeover of health care? Do you still think that's the map we're on? Yeah, you know, I, I've said publicly on your show and other places for, I think, four or five years now that I, I, I do think we will be fully socialized uh, by probably 2028 is the year because just because of the way elections work and cycles go, I just think that's probably about the right time that this will happen. Um, you know, some of my some of my colleagues and it would point out that we're already socialized. You know, that was another another fact I wanted to share with you on Obamacare. When Obamacare passed in 2029, 53 percent of U.S. health care costs were borne by taxpayers. And, and people think oh, that's high. But you got to remember, it's Medicare plus Medicaid plus the V.A. plus state and local and federal workers. And so when you cobbled all that together, it was 53 percent. So that was 12 years ago. Today, it's 71 percent in blue states and 67 percent federally. So you look at that and say, well, gee, aren't we already socialized? Then? Wow. So we're only arguing over the last 30 percent. Yeah, the last third. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you could make an argument that we are socialized. Now, I, I have firmly thought that Obamacare is going to lead to people talk about Medicare for all, but that's the old Mott and Bailey thing where they talk about that, but then they'll settle for something less mm-hmm. further back. And I think what, what this will end up being is Medicaid for all. And I know healthcare geeks don't really know the difference. The difference is Medicare is what we all pay into for ourselves as we age. That's the, that's the stuff we get when we're over 65. So it's, it's typically better. It's typically a, a much better reimbursement for the provider, meaning a lot more doctors will take Medicare and it's, and it's an effective system for the most part. I mean, you'll, you'll talk to hospitals and doctors and say, oh yeah, we can make money on Medicare all day long. But the problem is Medicare costs significantly more than Medicaid, more than double. Um, now, some of that's due to age, but some of it's also just due to reimbursement. So when they talk about Medicare for all, what they'll ultimately do is slide back into something like what's happened with Obamacare, and it'll default into be like, like a, sort of a Medicaid for all. Well, that Medicaid, again, now we're talking about the system that reimburses so little that it, it might even be better to not have it at all. And I, I just think that's where this is headed. But I do have some good news, Jack. I do have some good news. I, I think in light of the fact that we've gone over $30 trillion in debt and that we're now at more than a million dollars of unfunded liability for taxpayer. I just, I think the economic collapse, I think the, the inflation and the, the serious trouble that we're going to be in for with food shortages, I think that could change the, the intestinal fortitude of the country. I, I think that we could see people say, no, 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 no. We're not taking on the additional $32 trillion that it would cost to provide universal health care nationwide. Ho- I hope you're right. We're about out of time. I want to make sure you pimp. What do you want people to follow you? Your website, Twitter, where do you want people to follow you? 
Oh, yeah, benefit-revolution.com. Benefit-revolution is my website. You can hit me on Twitter. At, I think it's Benny Revolution on Twitter, or just Google my name. It's cool. Craig Gottwalls is what you Google. He's the smartest guy out there on this stuff. Thanks for coming on. Craig Gottwalls. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. How long have you been wearing a badge, Sheriff? 38 years. In 38 years, have you ever seen anything like what we're facing right now? This is the worst I've ever seen. It. There you go. There's an Arizona sheriff saying in 38 years, the border is the worst he's ever seen it, and it has been bad many, many times over the last four decades, and it's the worst it's ever been, and it's shocking how little coverage this gets. Now, I realize we got uh, the worst war since World War II going on, and that's a pretty big story, but um, this was going on before Putin invaded Ukraine, and it was not getting any attention then. We have breaking news. This is full-on breaking news donkey, breaking news right here. I'm not abusing the donkey over this one. Breaking news, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has COVID. She's tested positive. Now, two things to that. Good morning. Uh, it's the new Omicron variant, almost certainly, which is incredibly mild compared to the original COVID. On the other hand, she's ancient. And we all know that COVID's way worse for ancient people. But here's the biggest part of it. She was unmasked at an event with President Biden yesterday. I, I, I don't know which event they're talking about now. That's, uh, that's very unspecific. Was it an event where there were 10 people in the Oval Office? Or are you talking about there were 500 people in a, in a, in a giant room? But if it was in any sort of room that was even at all closed-ish, then Biden's got it. Because this new Omicron variant spreads crazy easily. And Biden getting, like, I don't worry about, I've had COVID twice, I think, and uh, I don't worry about it at all for me or my kids. But if you're as old and frail as Biden, getting COVID would be a big deal. Like, my parents get COVID, I'm worried about it. Joe Biden gets COVID, it's a problem. So Nancy Pelosi has tested positive. She was unmasked in a room with Joe Biden yesterday. True international depression. So uh, I'm sure the president gets tested multiple times a day, but that is a boy. We don't need an even more weakened Joe Biden dealing with the problems of the world. I'll tell you that. If, as if that wasn't a problem, we have a teenage gorilla at a zoo who's getting too much screen time. He's become obsessed with his iPad. Gorilla parents are just as upset as regular parents all across America. Maybe we'll get into that story next hour. I was going to do more on that, but uh, I used up all my time on Nancy's illness and possibly Joe Biden's illness. I uh, was pretty, I have to apologize, Alex, in the newsroom. I don't know if he's listening. I apologize for the way I overreacted to your FBI story the other day. Well, it's okay. I accept your apology. I'm still waiting on Joe and Michaels. Um, I uh, I thought you gave me a crap story and embarrassed me by making me read it. It turns out it's real information well, uh, whether or not the, the facts are accurate, but the, the story is real. So I'll explain that here in just a second. But executive producer Mike Hansen just dug up the picture from yesterday. Looks like a fairly smallish room. And Nancy Pelosi, her head is what? Two and a half feet from Joe Biden's head? From what I know about the way the new Omicron spreads, I don't think there's a chance that anybody in that picture, Schumer, um, Steny Hoyer, 
can't I can't name all those people there and Joe Biden have the Omicron. So look for that being a story. That was yesterday afternoon and Nancy's tested positive. Woo wee. So I think we've laid out how this uh, happened. If you don't know, we'll catch up real fast. A freedom of information request is powerful. And um, they got one going with the government, in particular, their archives around UFOs and aliens. And so a whole bunch of information has come out in the last week, including like one story that a spaceship actually crashed in Roswell, Back in the day, and they recovered three three-foot-tall bodies wearing silvery jumpsuits. Now, just because some wacky farmer who was all hopped up, hopped up on, uh, you know, whatever peyote he was smoking, just because he said it, and it's in a letter in the archives, and it legitimately exists in the archives, doesn't mean it actually happened. Do you understand what I'm saying here? But here's William Lodgeness reporting on this yesterday for Fox. A 1,500-page Pentagon report of previously classified documents cataloging accounts from witnesses and victims claiming radiation burns, brain damage, even paralysis after close encounters with UAPs. This is the most haunting of all the reports from, from my perspective because it shows immunological deficiency. It shows um, altering human DNA. It shows degradation on a cellular level. Good job by Fox by finding a crackpot who's taking this completely seriously uh, to give it some uh, credibility. What's a UAP? Anybody remember what that is? I think we knew at the time. UAP, unidentified. I don't know. We'll figure that out. Look that up, please, Alex. Uh, William Lodgeness goes on. Prepared in 2010 by the Pentagon's secret Advanced Aerospace Weapons Program, the report was released only after a Freedom of Information request. It found sufficient incidents, accidents have been accurately reported, and medical data acquired as to support a hypothesis that some advanced systems are already deployed and opaque to full U.S. understandings. This is from within the documents themselves. Unidentified alien phenomena? Is that what you said? Aerial. Unidentified aerial phenomena is what a UAP is. And I liked in the first uh, segment there where William Longinez said the witnesses and victims were crackpots and uh, liars. <laughs> Crazy people and uh, and pranksters trolling you or their victims. And one more. The report says humans have been injured from exposure to UFOs, from abductions at perceived time loss to sexual encounters and unexplained pregnancies. We're talking about an area where there is intervention with the human being on such a a level that it's beyond just negative health effects. Uh, Some of this stuff is really bizarre. So what's next? While this program ended in 2010, Corbell says the Pentagon continues to study UFOs and more military videos and documents are likely to be released this year. Unexplained pre- pregnancies. Come on now. Yeah, Pa, that's what happened. That's what happened. They abducted me and impregnated me or something. That's, how, that's why I'm pregnant. That's it. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> If you're a certain sort of person, I guess you did. Uh, we are going to, who do we got coming up next? Oh, um, Lon He Chen. We love talking to Lon He. And we haven't talked politics that much today, so cool. Um, he's on the way. He's great. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. 
The Armstrong and Getty Show. So there's evidence that the president at one point was office mates with Hunter and his brother Jim here in D.C. It's not accurate. That is not accurate. So when Hunter Biden is emailing a landlord, uh, please have keys made available for new office mates, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, Jim Biden. That you're disputing. They were not office mates, no. They were not office mates. Okay. I got to admit, admit, I would find it somewhat. But the story was apparently that, that they had keys made for Joe for the office. I just... I don't see a guy like Joe Biden having had to carry a key for anything for like 40 years. Just, I doubt that he has keys for anything. But anyway, um, I do think the whole Hunter Biden thing is for real. Well, so does CBS now and the Washington Post and the New York Times and lots of other people and people and, um, where it goes, who knows? Let's welcome to the Armstrong and Getty show, Lon He Chen. He's a candidate for California state controller, for one thing. But we've been having him on for years. David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution. The Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University, which is pretty impressive. Lon He, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show once again. Good to be back with you guys. Thanks. Not about the details of the Hunter Biden thing, but don't you, don't you think the... Um, if there ever was a bloom on the rose, the bloom is off the rose of the whole Joe Biden brings us back to normalcy, grown-ups are in charge, no more craziness. That's gone, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two reasons why it's gone, guys. Number one is because of Biden's own, uh, you know, kind of his own behavior in office, just in terms of what we're seeing from him as somebody who, um, you know, sometimes it looks like it's unclear whether he understands exactly what the nature of the challenge is and and whether it's because he just doesn't pay much attention or because you know for whatever reason it might be it does feel a little bit like sometimes he doesn't grasp the gravity of the situation i'll give you an example when he offhandedly says that vladimir putin's got to go uh you know it means something when an american president says that it's not just a throwaway comment and so you have to wonder, you know, Joe, what's part of, I think, what made Joe Biden appealing at some point in his career was that he kind of just said what came to mind. But that's not really something that in this situation, I think, you know, serves him all that well. But the second reason why the bloom is off the rose, guys, is because of just the policy decisions that he's made and the various things that he has said about, you know, what it is that, uh, you know, we have to do with respect to all sorts of different issues, right? Massive economic stimulus that's resulting in big-time inflation, Uh, you know, various things we're seeing in domestic policy that really are far left of center when it comes to what we expected. You know, we expected a moderate. We got a far-left progressive. And so I think for those reasons, people are kind of saying, huh, this wasn't exactly what we expected. Yep. Yeah, absolutely true. And I I wanted to get into policy since that's your wheelhouse. Uh, Is there anything that would launch? Well, I did see a a poll the other day that had immigration as the third biggest priority of American voters. It was inflation, economy, which are so close to the same for one and two, and then the border. It gets so little coverage in the news, it's hard for me to know how much people care. I suppose you see these numbers from time to time. Is the border on people's minds? Because we're hearing from all kinds of different fronts that it's the worst it's been in decades. Yeah, I, I think, Jack, there's a there's two different things there, too, as well. Number one is uh, how much the media covers it or doesn't cover it. I think if the media wanted to cover it, they could have a story about what's happening at the border and the lack of uh, of kind of efforts to, to secure our southern border. You would probably see that, you know, pretty often. 
the other thing I think is that immigration is kind of a, um, as an issue, interestingly enough, it tends to correlate with the state of the economy. So when the state of the economy is perceived to be unsteady for whatever reason, immigration tends to rise as an issue as well because people directly relate, uh, you know, let's say, for example, competition for labor supply with the state of the economy. And if the economy is relatively weak or let's just say precarious, the, the labor market's pretty strong right now. Anyone who largely wants a job can probably find one. But the problem is when you've got inflation running at levels it's running at, people have a little bit of uncertainty about the economy and about where it's headed. Some people think we're actually headed for recession. And if that's the case, then immigration becomes a more salient issue. So, Jack, I think what you're seeing is people express that concern about immigration in part because of some unsteadiness we're seeing in the economic numbers. And as you said, one and two, issues one and two are the economy and inflation. So we know where people's heads are at. The Republicans will take back the House, and that's not that surprising historically in recent cycles. That's just the way it works. Um, And there are extra reasons that's going to be true this time around. But as far as the presidency, and I'm operating on the assumption Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee in one way or another, is there a, a chance for some sort of political reset of some sort where we get, because you know, yeah. Biden wasn't elected for any normal reason. He was elected because not Trump. And then Hillary and, uh, and, and Trump were the two most unpopular candidates in our nation's history. So is there a chance for some sort of, I don't know, normal-like presidential election? I don't know. You know, I part of me wants to wish we could get back to that, you know, where where we actually had debates over things like tax yeah, policy right. or what would happen in, in, in terms of our policy around the world. I, I wonder if that um, trains left the station, honestly, wow. Just given wow. the nature of our politics. Wow. Um, That's, the, I, a guy like you, on, a serious guy like you and, and an optimistic guy, I haven't talked to you for several years now to say that yeah. I find that pretty striking. Well, it's it's a function, I think, of who ends up running, right, and uh, and and who ends up being sort of involved in the contest. I think if it's you know there's a certain category of politician whom, if they ran for president and both sides kind of had nominees of that ilk, you could see things going back. But the problem is, I think, as you think about you know who the the leading contenders might be on either side, I have great doubt that you would see that, you know, sort of retro kind of campaign. I think in some ways we're moving into a new era. And by the way, it's not just because of the candidates. It's because of how people consume media now, right? right. I mean, think about social media. Social media has accelerated the way and the nature of every news cycle. And it's so much easier for stories to, to catch on like wildfire than it was in the day and age when you had some major you know, television networks and you had some big newspapers. And that was about it. So it's not just because of the candidates that things have changed. It's also just because of the nature of the consumption of media and how stories kind of do or don't take off. Do you mean that train has less left the station for now or like permanently? Because I mean, if, I, don't, it, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wish I could say it's for now, but some of these trends are, are not going away anytime soon. Right. I mean, do, do we see ourselves moving away from a social media world? I don't know. Do we see ourselves, you know, candidates increasingly need to say and do things that are, you know, sort of attention grabbing in this era where people have very, very short attention spans. And so that adds to the likelihood that you're going to get candidates encouraged to, to run for these high offices who are, you know, kind of more sensationalistic. I mean, I, you know, in, in my own campaign, I, I really try not to go there. You know, I try to be 
reasonable and talk about the reasons why we need better accountability for state spending in California and, you know, not the sexiest issues, but for my kind of an office and this kind of a campaign, I can do that. But I, I know the pressures that are on friends and colleagues who are running for other kinds of offices. And, you know, all the pressure, in my view, is in the wrong direction in terms of the kind of well, behavior sure. that they need to engage in to win. I right? guarantee you, so, you would raise more money today. You would ra- raise more money today than you've raised in any day. If you said, you know who's a war criminal? Joe Biden is a war criminal. Right. That would be retweeted. Right. I don't know how many thousand times and you'd raise the most money of your career. Yeah, unfortunately, my my tweet about the disability insurance scandal did not quite uh, make the make the top ten list today. So no, you're you're absolutely right. I think that there is a definite desire and an intention sometimes that politicians feel a need to just say wacky stuff because it it does get a lot of attention, you know. And that's not that's not the kind of politics that I grew up in, but it is the nature of our politics today, and it is what drives, um, you know. Uh, sort of engagement. And and at the end of the day, that's what politicians want. They want engagement. Yeah, well, I've been uh, reading a lot of uh, Sarah Isger of The Dispatch has been writing about this a lot, that the the changes in... uh, Yeah, and she's been great on this. The campaign finance reform that we thought would make politics better have made it worse. And uh, and having having more small donations from people who just want to see you say something crazy on Twitter or a cable news show has not taken us the right direction. No, I agree. I agree. It's too bad. It's really too bad. Any chance that changes? Any chance we go back to some people are calling for the return of the smoke-filled rooms? You don't let the parties decide candidates and that sort of thing. Well, that you know that that wasn't so great either, right? Because it, it wasn't the kind of process that we would hope. You know, I, I think in America we would pride ourselves on transparency, on processes where you understand kind of who comes out of it, and 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 public uh, voices can be heard and considered. I, I do think if we had stronger political parties, and that may sound strange because you but the, God, the parties, yep. you know, the party at labels and identifications are strong, but the institutions of the political parties aren't strong anymore. No, no, no. It's whoever, it, whoever it, gets the nomination, all of a sudden you adopt their policies. That's, not the, the way, that's yeah. not the way it's supposed to work. And, and it, it used to be that the party stood for things and, and candidates kind of, you know, would either adhere to that or not. But nowadays you don't have that strength of association of the party anymore. If you had a stronger political party mechanism, stronger Democratic and Republican parties that might have more control, for example, over presidential primary processes, you wouldn't have these long drawn out primary fights that, you know, unfortunately many times end up uh, devolving into who can be the most liberal, who can be the most, most conservative. And I don't think that generates presidential candidates at the end of the day who are uh, going to govern from from the middle out, and I think ultimately that's probably what we need as a country to get back to the kind of normalcy you're talking about. Lon He Chen knows what he's talking about for all kinds of different reasons, including being involved at the highest levels of major campaigns, and he's a candidate for California State Controller. You were endorsed by the Chronicle, is that right? I wasn't endorsed by the Chronicle. I had a, there was a column uh, we, we read from the column writer. Yeah, it was an opinion writer. He he basically said, "Hey, listen, one position yep. where you need where you need a watchdog, you know, in government in California is a controller, and that's why you probably want to think about electing a Republican." So, as I like to say, Jack, we need a we need a watchdog in this office, not a lapdog. There you go. And that's for pretty. Often, for too often, we've had that. You that's know? pretty awesome when somebody in the Chronicle, San Francisco Chronicle, says this is a Republican you need, Lonnie Chen. Hey, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. That's the most interesting thing I've heard today. A serious guy like that who doesn't say crazy stuff just, you know, for fun. That train has left the station of us having serious discussions. Wow. Armstrong and Getty. 
From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.